Well, good morning and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. If you've been with me for a while, you know we're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. We're now in the third chapter of the book of Romans, and I want to begin reading today in verse 22 of that chapter and read on through verse 26. We've begun already to examine some of these verses. I want to build on that previous discussion together. In verse 22 of Romans 3, we read, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Backdrop. As you know, as we've been studying in the book of Romans, from verse 17 in the first chapter, up until these verses actually, we've been encountering an unmistakable message from God. God goes at great length to make it plain. And the message is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Certainly verse 23 that I read to you underscores that very point. Now, God is not drawing our attention to that only so that we become realistic by the, uh, with the idea that none of us are perfect. No, God is drawing our attention to that to remind us that since that is true, we face a problem. You and I face accountability for that sin. And we will face, due to that accountability, an inescapable judgment before the God who is really there. As Hebrews 9 puts it, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, to face judgment. And so the question becomes, for sinners, which means everybody, the question becomes, how will I stand before God at that time? How will I face that accountability, that judgment? And God goes at length here in these chapters to explain to us, listen, We cannot approach that time thinking we can do something to solve our problem. The problem of accountability for sin. The problem of the inevitable separation from God that results from that sin. You and I can't do anything on our own to solve that problem. Turning over a new leaf in our life and trying to be better people, so to speak, doesn't change the fact that we're already stained and tainted by the sin choices we've made, or by the fact that even with a new leaf, we're likely still to stumble as time goes on. Certainly, God also goes at great length to explain to us that religion alone and being involved in religious activity does not change the condition of the person. You are still a sinner. And he uses that great uh, example of the Jewish faith, very zealous people, to demonstrate that doesn't solve the problem. And certainly, sacraments, religious practices do not change the essence of the condition of a person. Well, if we face such accountability, and there's nothing we can do about it, what do we do? As Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, by nature, all of us are objects of wrath due to our sin, because we followed that sin throughout our lives. And certainly, most importantly, 
we followed the determination to break the greatest of the commandments, which was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Ephesians 2 goes on to say the consequence of that is that we are without hope, we are lost, and we are without God in this world. So what's the solution? Is it is it just simply a despairing, might as well grit our teeth, there's nothing that can be done about it? No. There is a solution. And the only solution to this impossible dilemma of humanity is the gospel. Back in the first chapter of Romans in verse 16, before developing this theme of the universal sinfulness of people and the consequences of that sinfulness, we encounter this verse. God says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everybody who believes. <laughs> there is an answer. It is the gospel. That's the only solution to the universal problem that we've been examining. Now, how does the gospel solve it? Because Jesus Christ died in our place. The righteousness, holiness of God is the standard by which relationship with God is required. If we have that standard, we can be saved. If we remain and contain and carry out that standard, we'll continue to be saved. But the problem is none of us can meet that standard. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and thus everybody's lost. But the gospel says to us, listen, if we will place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, accept our condition as lost and hopeless in it, and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, God says, I will apply the righteous life of Christ to you. And you will stand before me based on his life, not yours. So God says, for those who fall short, which is everybody, <laughs> for those who fall short, I have a wonderful gift for you. And that wonderful gift is the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness credited to you in Jesus Christ. Well, that issue is central to our understanding of the human condition and God's solution to it. Now, in the verses that I read to you today, we encounter two words that God develops at more length in the upcoming verses and actually even in the upcoming chapters. And those two words are these. Number one, justified. And number two, redemption. And so today, I want to pick up on the first of those words, justified, and examine it a bit further with you and seek to understand what God is explaining to us about the nature of the gospel with that word justified. And then, Lord willing, when we meet again next week, I'll turn attention to that word redemption and what God means by that in the midst of the gospel message. But for now, let's turn our attention for a while to the issue of justified. What does God mean when he says we are justified by his grace as a gift? What does that mean? What is God talking about with this issue? Well, let's examine it. Our sin issue, our sin dilemma, the impossibility of it, is ultimately solved by the principle of justification. The gospel tells us that you and I can be justified before God because of something God has done, not something that we do. This solution to sin 
rooted in justification, is God's great answer, and it's a solution to sin that is offered freely to us. It is offered as a message of grace to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For you have been saved by grace, not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. God says, listen, I've done something. I've got something for you. It is a gift to you. You haven't merited this gift. You certainly haven't earned this gift. And you don't even really deserve this gift. But I'm going to give it to you. I have sent my son to die for the undeserving. While we, God showed and clearly proved his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, as we will discover more in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. <laughs> well, let's look a little bit more at this issue of justified, this free gift that God gives to the undeserving. And understand, even though we'll begin to look at it here, he continues to explain to us much more about it throughout the remainder of this chapter and into the fourth chapter, and even, for that matter, into the fifth chapter. Isn't it an amazing thing that God is going to such great length to make plain to us eternally significant truth? Well, let's move forward with it. To be justified comes from a Greek word which means literally to acquit, to show as innocent. In the Greek language, it was a legal term primarily. It was used to describe a situation in a court where someone was acquitted from charges that had been brought against them. Now, of course, over time and in different cultures, what the judicial systems looked like varied over time. But what never really varied was the fact that there was a place where charges could be brought against someone and a decision could be made about their guilt or lack of it. Uh, that is the idea here. To be justified means to be acquitted, to be shown as innocent. Think of it in our current cultures as a time where in the midst of the court gathering, the judge says, you're not guilty of the charges that have been brought against you. <laughs> in the picture of the scriptures, it is God who is the judge. And God says to be justified means that the great judge, God, says to us, you're not guilty. How can God say, I am not guilty, when I'm guilty? <laughs> How does all of that work? And, and the answer to that begins to explain to us the miracle of justification. Let's move forward a little bit further. Listen, when God says, you're not guilty, it isn't the same thing as God saying, I will pardon you for your guilt. To be pardoned means that the failure is seen. The culpability is recognized. But for some reason, the penalty for our wrongdoing is removed. Now, the wonder of the gospel is that there is pardon in it. Uh, the wonder of the gospel is that God offers us forgiveness for our actual failure. And that forgiveness weaves together with the concept of pardon. But justified has a slightly different idea. To be justified is to say to someone, 
you have no failure. And therefore, there is no need for a penalty. Do you see the difference? To be pardoned says you did it wrong, but we are going to remove the penalty for having done it. To be justified is the judgment of the, of the court, of the judge, that no, you have no failure. Then <laughs> therefore, there's nothing to be pardoned from. In Jesus Christ, this one in whom is the power of the gospel unto salvation, we discover both pardon and justification. <laughs> but we'll come back to the pardon more when we start to talk about the issue of redemption. For now, I want to stay with this issue of being justified. To, for that, the fact that the judge can look at us, the great judge of our souls, God, and he can say, well, you have no, far, no failure. Therefore, <laughs> there is no penalty now to be applied to you. So here's the question. And certainly it's a central question to the scriptures. How can God see the truth about us? And make no mistake, he sees it. He knows we're sinners. He knows every thought, every action, every intention of every one of our lives. He sees the truth about us. So how can God, who sees that truth, still look at us and see us as innocent? How does that happen? How can that possibly be true? How can God look at us and say, you are righteous and holy like me, when in point of fact, we haven't been righteous and holy like him. <laughs> it seems such a perplexing issue, doesn't it? But that's what justification is addressing. And the great answer that justification, this word justified, brings to us in the scriptures is that the gospel promises to us that God will impute righteousness to those who believe. Impute it. Credit it. To those people. Uh, Martin Luther, at the time of the Reformation, said this concept of being justified by imputed righteousness is the truth upon which the church rises and falls. Uh, John Calvin, at the, say, at the Reformation period, also said this truth of justification by imputed righteousness is, as he put it, the hinge upon which everything else turns. <laughs> J.I. Packer, in our Closer to Our Modern Era, although J.I. Packer is with the Lord at the time I'm speaking to you, uh, he made the comment one time that justification, imputed righteousness from God, is the atlas that carries everything else on its shoulders. <laughs> so what in the world is this imputed righteousness, this idea of being justified. Let me develop it a bit further for you and try to answer that question. The Reformation was about two overarching issues. The Protestant Reformation now, uh, back in the beginning of more modern history. Uh, it, was, it was a truth about where do we turn for authority, first of all. And the Reformation was saying there's one source of authority, and that is the objective scriptures, the propositional revelation from God that we have in the written word of God. This is the only source of authority because this is the only place where God's word breathed out, as Second Corinthians or Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 puts it. This is the only place we encounter that word. And so the Reformation said 
First of all, we have to settle where we're going to turn for the truth to be our ultimate authority. The word is our ultimate authority, not what people think, not what the church may have said, but the word. Secondly, because of that, the word was saying something very important here in Romans and elsewhere about imputed righteousness versus imparted righteousness. And so the Reformation became about how do we get the righteousness of God credited to us? How do we get right before God? It was central then, and it is central now. Both issues, really. What is our source of authority? And how does God save us? Two amazing, important, amazingly important, let's put it that way, questions. And two that were answered conclusively at that period of time. Here's the point. God's word tells us that when we were justified by God, remember here, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. When we are justified by God, God is making a promise to us. What that promise says is that he is promising to credit to us, to our account, so to speak, that perfect life that the Lord Jesus Christ lived. That, in other words, let's put it in a different way, because the scripture uses this image as well. He will cover us with the perfect life of Christ, clothe us with it, so that as we stand before God, we what God sees is what he has credited to us. He sees the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ if we've made the decision to rest in the power of that gospel. <clears throat> God says, I will do that when you decide to acknowledge your need, to accept my indictment of your life as being a sinner and therefore separated from me, and turn in dependency upon Christ and not your own self and your own actions. Turn to him and trust that he died for you, that He his work on the cross solved your sin problem. Rest in what he did for you. I promise when you do that, I will credit you with that perfect life. That time when we decide to place our faith in Christ, to rest upon him. It means you and I have decided to stop trusting in the things we do. Turn, remember earlier we were talking in Romans, turning over a new leaf, maybe becoming more religious, maybe going through some sacraments and religious practices. God says, when you come to the point of saying, not only I'm a sinner, but I'm also going to refuse to trust in any of that stuff. Instead, I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross was for me, whose death on the cross solved my sin problem and is my only source of hope. When we decide that's what we're going to trust in, that's what it means to have faith in the gospel, to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to rest in what he did instead of resting in what we can do. That is justification. God says we have been justified by faith. Justified by faith. Now, in Romans, the fifth chapter, he begins the chapter with that very statement. The question before you and before me, what am I resting in? 
What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in my best effort, my religious practices, the sacraments I've been through? Or am I going to trust solely, completely, with no reserve in the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to pay for my sin? That's the only question at the heart of the gospel. Now, this process of justification is fleshed out in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which I've read to you several times already in our study of Romans. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, meaning Jesus Christ. How did he make him to be sin? By, as he went to the cross, putting on him the sin of all of us. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What the theologian calls the great exchange. <laughs> all of our sin and failure and rebellion against God with all of its accountabilities was put on Jesus when he went to the cross. All of Christ's perfect life, he never sinned. He was obedient in all things before the Father. All of his righteousness and holiness is then credited to us so that we become that righteousness that he was. That is the great exchange that the scripture develops for us. And God says that great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, will occur when you decide to repent, which means change your mind about yourself, see you as you really are, see me as I really am, and believe in what Jesus has done. As a result of that, God, as the great judge, can actually declare us innocent, not guilty, despite the reality of our failure in sin. It now becomes, once we've responded in faith to the Lord Jesus, it now becomes as if we had never sinned. You see, not merely pardoned, but justified. Something has happened to remove that very sin from us so that when God sees us, he doesn't see it. You say, well, how can that happen? How can God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, how can that even be? How can he no longer see what we know we did? Great question. <laughs> but the scripture tells us, listen, that's what happens. That sin is removed from us so far that all, G, all the Father sees is that perfect life of Jesus when he looks at us. You say, well, I find that hard to believe. Well, let me read you a passage. In Psalm 103, in verses 11 and 12, looking ahead to that work of Christ that would come when Christ would come into this world and die on the cross on our behalf and be raised from the dead by the Father. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Speaking about God. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It seems unbelievable, doesn't it? It seems like a miracle. How can this have happened? When God looks at us, all he sees is the perfect life of the Lord Jesus. That is the meaning of the gospel. That is the meaning of what it means to be justified before him. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as I read to you today. All are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, here's the point. Our assurance of acceptance with God when he looks at us, our assurance right now and our assurance forever will be in this fact that when God looks at us, he sees the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been credited to us. We have been justified by our faith. We can dwell now in the presence of God. Remember, sin separates us from God. We can dwell now in the presence of God. We will dwell forever in the presence of God because of the reality of the justification that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how we start as a believer. It's how we continue as a believer. And it'll be how we forever will be as a believer. The truth of the matter is, you and I could never have one bit of assurance of our standing with God, of our acceptance by God, of our eternal life with God. We could have no assurance of it unless justification was true. Now, why is that? Well, the fact of the matter is, sin will still be a problem. Sin, unrighteousness, separates people from God. Sin cannot dwell in his presence. <laughs> you and I sinned, which was our problem initially. And the fact will be, even though we wish it was not true, there will be times, even after we've been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, where we become believers have eternal life, there will be times when we will stumble, where we will still sin. If relationship with God was based on anything else than the perfect life of Christ clothing us, once we stumbled and sinned, even as a believer, we'd be separated from God. <laughs> Something has to happen to continue to keep us covered with the righteousness of Christ. Justification is what that is. Sin always will separate us. Something has to happen to keep the sinner connected to the holy and righteous God. Therefore, you and I are saved by Christ's perfect life, and you and I are kept by his perfect life as well. That is the essence of the new covenant. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 means when it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> That's justification. That's the great privilege of ours. Once we repent and believe in that gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. But as I said at the beginning, this word justified is only part of the amazing picture of the power of the gospel. The other part of this that we're going to be looking at in these verses is we are justified by, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. What is this redemption? What does God mean by that word? I hope today you're getting more of an awe and appreciation for what justified means <laughs> What a miracle, what a wonderful thing is ours because of it. Next time, join me, and you will be awed once again. Because God's word tells us, not because I tell you, 
what it means to be redeemed. What is redemption? Join me then, won't you? And together, let's in humility praise God for undeserved, unmerited gifts, all ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God bless. Join me then. Thank you.